Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a new series called The Outsiders. The Outsiders. And so I want to start in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 3, excuse me, in verse 14. And it reads in this way, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice the Bible is talking about the family of God, and some of that family is in heaven right now, and some of that family is on earth. And the people that are a part of that family are people that have chosen to believe in Jesus. And, you know, we live in a world full of people who are suffering. You know, whether it's uh, strangers on the other side of the world or family members and friends that are part of our lives, so many people are not living the life that they want to live and that God wants them to live. Some of us might even say that's true about us individually. And the reason why that is is that they're outsiders. They are individuals who are not a part of the family of God yet. They're people who are far from God. And life far from God is life that is far from good. And so today I, I, I want to share a message. I'm actually going to begin a series that I believe is going to light a fire under some of us today. I actually believe that as a result of this series, none of us will ever be the same again. And I believe that this church will never be the same again because we're going to really get the heart of God for the outsiders, for those people who are far from God. And we're also going to really be able to make the changes necessary so that our lives are really as rich and fulfilling as God wants them to be. And so uh, I want to start in Luke chapter 15. It's a very, very uh, well-known parable. In verse 1, it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, think about that. People who did not believe in God, wanted nothing to do with God, came to hear the preacher. He must have been pretty good, right? I think even more so, he was loving. You know, people knew that Jesus loved them, and so they were willing to listen to what he had to say. And that's something we can learn from and we want to share with others what God has done in our lives, that you can't do that successfully and be a mean Christian. Come on now, you can't cuss people out and then tell them you need Jesus. Well, thank you for the one or two amens I got there. So the Bible says this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. One of the criticisms that they leveled at Jesus was that he was a friend to sinners. They saw that as a bad thing, right? He's an insider. He's one of God's people. He shouldn't be around those outsiders. So Jesus tries to explain himself to them. It says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he find it? Aren't you glad that he went and searched for you? Somebody say, God didn't give up on me. 
I don't know about you, I'm glad he didn't give up on me. Because usually if you've got 99 sheep and one is on his own, you, you could definitely be, uh, uh, come to the conclusion that, well, you know, that's a wrap. Can't do anything about that one. He's already dead. But he didn't give up on him. And Jesus is showing us really how God views people that are far from him. He's showing us this is God's approach to things. That if there's one who's far from him, he'll lead the 99 who are close to him to go get the one. Jesus went on to say, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now think about that. He's actually saying that when the shepherd finds this one lost sheep, he throws a party. He sends invitations. Come on, this is a graduation party. Right? I mean, it's like it's on that level. It says, hey, I want y'all to come and have a party with me because I found my lost sheep. I found that one that had gotten away. He goes on to say, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So, once again, notice this is, Jesus is not just telling a story. He's trying to explain to them why he hangs out with outsiders, why he spends time and, and, and eats meals and preaches to those who are far from God. And he's showing them that the way God thinks, the way heaven thinks, is that the one who is lost is now more a priority than the 99 who are found. He just told you that God celebrates the one more than the 99. Did you get that? Notice the numbers. One person more than 99 people. God's saying, just that one that I, I celebrate more about them becoming a part of my family than 99, almost 100 people who already are. So heaven looks at this issue of reaching outsiders, making them insiders, reaching people who are far from God and helping them to be close to them as a big deal. I mean, this is what gets God excited. This is what God cares about. And if it's what God cares about and is what gets him excited, it should be what we care about and what we get excited about. Jesus keeps on going. Like he didn't make enough of a point, he tells another story. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Uh-oh, we're talking about money now. We got your attention. We understand. We may not understand sheep, but we understand money. You lose $1,000 and you're going to stop everything to find that $1,000. So won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and once again search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Notice the value of the one sheep. Notice the value of the one coin. 
everything stops to reach them, to find them. Everything stops to celebrate them becoming, coming home or becoming a part of God's family. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he told me this story. I believe he was telling me his story. He has four kids, and he said that they went to, you know, a fair kind of a thing. And, you know, when you go to those fairs, it, it's crowded. And one of his kids got lost. And if you've ever been a parent, if you're a parent and you've ever had a moment like that, you know the terror that can grip your heart. You know, you're thinking about that kid. You're thinking about how terrified they may be. But even more so, you're thinking about what can happen to them if you don't find them. So that's what he did. He said he just stopped everything. And he forgot about the three that were already okay because he had them. And he did everything he could to find that one child, and he did. And that's how God views people who are far from God. He loves them so much. He wants their future to be so good, so much better than what they're experiencing right now, that he puts reaching them, finding them uh, on the top shelf. He makes that his greatest priority. You know, as a pastor of a church, one of the things that the Lord helped me get a hold of a few years ago is the importance of prioritizing winning the lost over even discipling the found to some degree. Now, if you disciple the found, then they'll win the lost. So all this works together. But I ran across a tweet somebody said. They said, you know, if you have a bunch of Christians in your church and they get mad at you and they leave your church because, you know, maybe the way you're dressed or the way you said something or, you know, you did something to try to reach people. Well, at least they're still Christians. They'll still go to heaven. They'll probably find their way to another church. But if you are going to do whatever it takes to just make them happy at the expense of reaching people who are far from God, well, if you don't reach them, they go to hell. So based on what we read, what should be the priority? It should be doing what I can to reach people far from God because God's saying, I celebrate one person becoming a part of my family more than the 99 who already are. I can see y'all going to look at me during this series. That's all right. I'm going to preach it anyway. I'm going to tell myself, you preaching, Pastor Andre. Preaching, Pastor Andre. Feel like my daddy up in here doing what he do. All right. So and then Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 19. Now, let's see why this is so important to God. It says, for the Son of Man, Jesus is talking, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, Jesus is talking about his life mission. Why did God send him into the earth? Jesus came to seek. Once again, you can see that word search and seek consistently in the Scriptures that we're reading. But ultimately, to save those which are lost. And, of course, John 3.16 says something very similar. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. The word perish there and the word lost here. Of course, the New Testament is translated from the Greek. So the Greek word is the same exact word. Somebody who is lost as far as God is concerned is someone who has not believed in him. And therefore, they are facing uh, 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 perishing. They're facing not only suffering in this world, but ultimately uh, eternity in hell. So Jesus is saying, I came to save them from hell. I came to save those who are lost. 
And let's go a little deeper into, you know, really what is it that he came to save them from? Number one, he came to save them from being far from God and a slave to his enemy. From being far from God and a slave to his enemy. Jesus came and said, I came to save the lost. What did he come to save them from? From being far from God and a slave to his enemy. So people who have yet to follow Jesus, believe in him, are far from God and a slave. You may say, ah, I'm not a slave. I can do whatever I want. That's what you think. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus said this, or Paul said this. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, of course, he's talking to people that are physically alive. He's not saying that they physically died. He's saying they spiritually died. I remember when I went to college, I went to the University of Michigan and uh, ended up going to Ann Arbor. I went to Dearborn and I went to school in Georgia because I, I went pro, you know. Um, you know, got, I started working. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so I had this professor and he, I guess he, he enjoyed trying to uh, crush the faith of freshmen. And so, you know, he began to lecture about how the Bible couldn't be true and tried to point out things in the Bible that weren't true. And one of the things he started with was, well, didn't God tell Adam and Eve that the moment they ate of that fruit, they would die? Well, they didn't, did they? And at this point, I had already been to ministry school. I knew better. I'm sitting in the back. But I wasn't the boldest guy. So only in my head, I thought, he died. They died spiritually, idiot. You know, and he's over here making this point. I'm like, you idiot, you know, and I just, I just didn't do it. I didn't stand up and do that. My dad tells the story because he says he had the same professor. But there's a difference between my dad and I. My dad got up and got in the guy's face and told him he was wrong in the class. I, I'm not that bold. But the point is, this guy, you know, he, he was all caught up in just, you know, physical death. But when the Bible talks about a type of death that is much worse, is spiritual death. You are a spirit. You possess a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. You live in a body, but the real you is your spirit. And so when someone is spiritually dead, that means they are separated from God. And God did not create you to live life without him. So when you're separated from God, you're not going to be happy. There's, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have the joy. You're not going to have the happiness you were created to have. Something will always be missing. There is a God-sized void in the heart of every man and woman on this planet. And people try all types of things to fill that void, whether it's accomplishment in the workplace, whether it's, you know, uh, being with the opposite sex, whether it's getting money, you know, drugs. They try all kinds of things to fill that void, but there's only one thing that will, God. So what, what God saw when he looked at the earth, when he sent Jesus, what Jesus was, was interested in fixing was that he wanted people who were separated from God to be close to God again, to be a part, to be a part of his family. And he goes on to say here in Ephesians chapter 2, once again, that once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, what caused you to be separated from God is sin. Sin killed all of us spiritually. 
He goes on to say, he's talking to Christians, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. So notice that the Bible tells us that when before we followed Jesus, we used to follow the, the directions of the devil. Those who are far from God may not realize it, but you have a boss. The Bible calls him the little case G, God of this world. The Bible reveals here that there really is an unseen world. There is a spirit world that is influencing and in a number of ways controlling what's happening in this physical world that we're a part of. And the one that's sitting on the throne of that spiritual world in this planet is Satan. Of course, Jesus came and did what he did, but you get the point that he's making. And so he's telling us that really the ways of the world, the way people live their lives isn't really something they came up with. It's not something they just chose to do because I'm independent. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Nobody's that independent. No, you have been influenced by God's enemy, Satan. And as far as God is concerned, that's not good because when you go Satan's way, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. That there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a, there's a way that, that you would think this is the way I should do things. And yet the end of that is death. And so what Satan has done is he's tricked people into going the wrong way. And he's causing people to suffer. And he's using people to cause other people to suffer. He's made mankind his slaves. And as far as God is concerned, that's not cool. That may not be the way the Bible says it, but you know what I mean. That's just not acceptable. So Jesus says, I came to save the lost. I came to save people from being separated from me. I came to save people from being my slave. And you know, it's true that a person can gain the world and still feel empty still be miserable. We see it all the time. Every year there's a couple of quote-unquote very successful people who take their own lives. And you look at them and say they had everything. Why were they so miserable? How could they get to that point? Because there's no lasting peace in that. Now, God wants you to prosper and have success, but he wants you to have him first. He is the prize. And there's a supernatural peace and joy that can just be a part of you and will be when you know God. And that's why Jesus came, so that you can know God and have that peace and that joy and be a part of, and no longer be an outsider, but an insider, a part of God's family. Well, then number two, I'm thanking God for those two or three amens I got. I'm just going to enjoy them while I have them. But this is why we're doing this series, because we should have the heart of God on this. All right, so, you know, this, as a pastor, sometimes you get to do the series everybody's excited about. And sometimes you get to give the vegetables. But the vegetables lead to people far from God going to heaven. Number two, why did, why did, Jesus, what did Jesus come to save the lost from? A life of pointless suffering. 
a life of pointless suffering. In John 10, 10, Jesus ultimately is talking about the devil. He says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. One of the mistakes that people make in this world is that when bad things happen, they like to blame God. If there's a hurricane, they say it's an act of God. If somebody in their life dies, they say God took them away. If something goes wrong in their life, God, why did you do this? And Jesus draws a very clear line here and says, no, if it's evil, it's from the devil. If it's good, it's from God. Evil add a D. Good, take away an O, God. Right? So he's telling us here that what Satan is all about is stealing, killing, and destroying. That really is all what he's all about. He wants to steal our peace, our joy, our health, our wealth, our relationships. He wants to steal anything good in our lives. And that's what he's doing all over the world, is he not? There are people who don't have food. There are people who are, who are depressed. There are people who are sick. There are people who, who you know, their family is, is broken up. I mean, there are people who are dealing with all kinds of things, even in this room. Not to mention people that we know and that we love. Satan is the one that's doing that. Get a hold of this. All suffering in this world is because of Satan. I'm going to say it again. All suffering in this world is because of Satan. All of it. That's one reason we got to stop this idea that, well, God made me go through something to teach me something. That's not the Bible. Satan tricks you into believing that God is doing evil in your life. Now, what God will do in the middle of an evil situation is he'll take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to your good. God will help you to come through it wiser and stronger and better. God will take you to the next level as you go through this battle. But God is not the one that causes suffering in this world. God's not the one that is causing children to starve in Africa. God's not the one that's causing, you know, I saw today a 20-year-old Disney star died in his sleep last night. God's not the one doing that. You can't say, well, the Lord had a purpose. You know, God wanted him to act in heaven. No. That's not even what Jesus said. Satan's whole thing is to, to cause suffering, and he is doing a great job of it. God's not cool with that. He's not happy with that. He doesn't just steal. He kills. How many people are committing suicide right now? How many people are losing their lives in car accidents? How many people are losing their lives because of natural disasters? How many people are losing their lives because somebody drove by and shot them? How many people are waking up or not waking up in the morning? Who's doing that? Satan. People are suffering all over the world. And ultimately, his goal is to destroy them, to trick them into rejecting Jesus so that they spend eternity in hell. Man is, is Satan's slave, those who are not, are not followed Jesus. And he treats slaves just like slaves are treated in this country. Slaves were raped. Slaves were beaten. Slaves were used as toys for their masters. Slaves were lynched. When you think, start thinking about all the horrible things that were done to slaves in our country, that's just a picture. I actually recognize this. Number one, Satan is the one who did that. So we're going to get him back by taking people from him. The Bible says we fight not against flesh and blood. At some point, you got to get past, you know, the color, the color of somebody's skin and blaming them for what their ancestors did and realize who the real enemy is. But, you know, that's just a picture of what he's actually doing to people all over the world is that he is, he's lynching folk. He's, 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 everybody that's being raped, 
everybody's dealing, you know, I, I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but a very high number of African-American women have been sexually assaulted. Who's doing that? Say it. So when Jesus says, I came to save those that are lost, this is one of the things that he came to save people from, a life of pointless suffering. In, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible talks about Jesus looking at a crowd of people that he really couldn't get to. And it says that when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered. Notice this, harassed by who? The devil. How many feel like you're being harassed right now by the devil? Come on, tell the truth. You got some stuff going on. You're like, leave me alone. Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, y'all must be doing real good because I only see a few hands. I'm, he must be giving me all y'all harassment. I don't know. <laughs> they were harassed, distressed. You're under attack. Things are going wrong. You feel distressed, dejected. Anybody ever been there? Like, oh, forget it. Helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So that, that's what Jesus was looking at. That's what he's, God's looking at in the world today. In fact, the message translation says that when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So when Jesus says, I came to save the lost, he also came to save them, not just from being separated from God and being a slave to his enemy, but from a life of pointless suffering. Bottom line is there are so many sheep outside of God's pasture who are constantly being raided by the enemy, by the wolf, Satan. And Jesus came so that they could be his sheep and they could be under his protection. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear an evil because you are with me. Number three, where did Jesus come to save the lost from? An eternity in hell. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story about a man, or actually about two men, one who was rich and one who was poor. And the point ultimately I think was being made here is that there is a rich, rich being rich in this world and going to hell is awful. You know, being rich in this world pales in comparison to being rich spiritually and having heaven in your home and, and walking with God. So he tells the story, he says, then he died, this poor man, and was taken up by the angels to the lap or bosom is what that word is, is translated as in the King James Version of Abraham. So there was a space down actually in the middle of the earth where righteous people went that wasn't hell. It was more of a holding place. It was a paradise, but it was, it was still down there because Jesus had to come and die and rise again before anybody could actually go into heaven. That's why the Bible says what it says in Isaiah 54, 1, for those, you know, Bible scholars in here. It says, single barren. They didn't have children because you're about to be filled. Well, if you study that out, you'll find that the barren was actually New Jerusalem heaven. It was empty. And Jesus came so that even those righteous saints who were down, down there waiting for him could actually enter into heaven. Well, this guy, that's where this guy ends up. He, 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 was, he was died, he was buried, and in hell, uh, excuse me, let me that, that guy ends up there. Notice the rich man also died and was buried. So he was someone that was far from God. So in hell, and in torment, notice the word torment, it means torture. So he was being tortured 
he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. What kind of agony are you in when doing this would give you relief? I mean, I'm thirsty right now. Might as well drink it right now. And that wasn't enough. So if you're thirsty, you know, even just that doesn't help you. What kind of agony are you in when that gives you relief? He's talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm in this flame, and I'm being tortured. And, and in the Bible, talks about hell. It talks about it being a place of outer darkness. It talks about it being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. What kind of pain are you in where you're gnashing your teeth? It talks about a place of torture. Well, I'm not reading the entire story to you for time's sake, but he mentions being tormented three different times in this story. I'm being tortured. And most of us have at least seen television shows or movies where someone was tortured. Uh, I can think of one. It was called Law Abiding Citizen. And, you know, so, you know, the guy who was the good guy becomes the bad guy, whatever. But there was a scene where he was torturing the guy who killed his family. And you almost like, yeah, torture him. You know what I mean? But even that doesn't last forever. But what about being tortured forever? That is what is awaiting every person who chooses to reject Jesus in this life. And it's a horrible thing. And I think sometimes because we don't want to think about it or because we just don't really get it, we don't take this seriously. So to help you with that, I want to read something to you from a book that Kenneth Hagin wrote. Now, if any, some of you know who Kenneth Hagin is. Most of you probably don't. Uh, he was a man of God who was sick on his deathbed at the age of 16 he had two incurable diseases. He was supposed to die at any moment. If you know his story, eventually he finally met Jesus. He got a hold of Mark 11, 23, and 24 and was healed. He went on to have a world-altering ministry. I mean, almost every major minister I can name right now has been influenced by his ministry. He was a prophet of God. God used him to heal many people, do many miracles. I mean, his fruit, his results... It, you can't argue with it. And I'm telling you that so you can know this isn't just some flake. And he tells a time, tells a, a story about when he was on his deathbed as a 16-year-old. And he didn't, he went to church, but he didn't know that that wasn't enough to not go to hell. So he actually died. And, you know, many people still tell stories today about them dying, what they experienced. Some of them are true, some are not. But this guy has proof to prove, his whole life proves that he knows what he's talking about. I want to read some of the things that he said. I just want you to bear with me. He says, earlier that evening, my heart had stopped beating and the spiritual man who lives in my body had departed. When death seized my body, my grandmother, my younger brother, my sister were sitting in the room. 
I had time only to tell them goodbye. Then the inner man rushed out of my body and left my body lying dead with eyes set and flesh cold. I went down, down, down until the lights of the earth faded away. I don't mean I fainted. I don't mean I was unconscious. I have proof that I was actually dead. My eyes were set, my heart had stopped beating, and my pulse had ceased. The scriptures tell us about the lost being cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The farther down I went, the blacker it became until it was all blackness. I could not have seen my hand if it had been one inch in front of my eyes. And the farther down I went, the hotter and more stifling it became. Finally, far below me, I could see lights flickering on the walls of the caverns of the damned. The lights were caused by the fires of hell. The giant white-crested orb of flame pulled me, drawing me as a magnet draws metal to itself. I did not want to go. I can understand that. But just as the metal jumps to the magnet, my spirit was drawn to that place. I could not take my eyes off of it. The heat beat me in the face. Many years have gone by, yet I can see it just as clearly today as I saw it then. It is as fresh in my memories as if, as if it just happened. So coming to the entrance, I paused momentarily because I didn't want to go in. I sensed that one more foot, one more step, one more yard, and I would be gone forever and could not come out of that horrible place. Upon reaching the bottom of the pit, I became conscious of some kind of spirit being by my side. I had not looked at him, but I could not take my eye, because I could not take my eyes off, the, off of the fires of hell. But when I paused, the creature laid his hand on my arm to escort me in. Now, the next thing he talks about, he heard a voice from heaven, and he was pulled back up. But he went down three separate times. And I just want to read to you what, what he said what happened on the third time. He said, the second time, I cried a little louder. God, I belong to the church. I've been baptized in water. Again, I waited for an answer, but there was no answer, only the echo of my own voice through the darkness. It would frighten the congregation out of their wits if I ever imitated the way I screamed the third time. God, God, I belong to the church. I've been baptized in water. All I heard was the echo of my own voice. I came again to the bottom of that pit. Again, I could feel the heat as it beat me in the face. Again, I approached the entrance, the gates into hell itself. The creature took me by the arm. I intended to put up a fight if I could, but I only managed to slow down my descent just a little. Of course, God pulled him up again. And on the way up, he said, Jesus, come into my life. <laughs> he got saved, and the rest is history. He went on talking about, I cannot explain to you the horrors of hell. And later on in his life, the Lord actually gave him a vision, and he said that we went down to hell, and as we went into that place, I saw what appeared to be human beings wrapped in flames. And Jesus told me, warn men and women about this place. And I cried out with tears that I would. This guy in Luke 16 we were reading about who was in torments in hell, if you read the rest of the story, after Abraham says, we can't help you, he says, well, then just send Lazarus to my brothers and have him testify. Tell him about this place so they won't come here. 
And Abraham says, well, they have the prophets. They got the Bible. He says, well, if somebody rises from the dead, they'll come. And he said, you know, somebody is going to rise from the dead. It's all awfully what he was saying. But even in hell, this guy had a heart for his brothers saying, I'm, it's over for me, but at least so, somebody reach them, tell them. Because it's so awful. And we ought to have the same heart. We ought not be cool with people just going to hell all around us. This is why Jesus came. Because he could see that without him, everybody would go to hell. But with him, people would have the opportunity to go to heaven. You know, I, I, I saw this. In fact, let me maybe use a couple people here. Can I get just about three or four people raised? Anybody want to volunteer to get dragged on stage and embarrassed? No, I'm not going to embarrass you. Anybody want to help? I see a couple guys over here. And anybody else over here see? I thought I saw you. You was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, come on, come on. And maybe, yeah, let me use you too. So just you four, come on. I'm going to have two of you stay down here. So right here. And I'll have the other two just come up on the stage. All right, so I saw this great picture, and I couldn't find it, so we're just going to do it this way. And it was of people in an ocean drowning. All you saw was hands lifted up, people trying trying to not drown. So that's you two. You guys are underwater. You got your hands in the air. You trying to, somebody save me. And then in boats, you had Christians on the water seeing this. And the idea was that, you know, we see all these lost people. We should be reaching to grab them. We should be doing everything we can. But instead, sometimes we sit on the boat, you know, having conversations, enjoying ourselves. Y'all just talk to each other, you know. We, 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 you know, having a good time. Or even, even we fighting over stuff. You know, we fighting over this. Made somebody, so y'all fight a little bit. They don't fight for real, but, you know. But, you know, act like y'all arguing. You know what I'm saying? You got a problem. We want to fight over this scripture and the way you do church and this, that, and the other. These people are dying. They're going to hell. And we over here caught up in don't even care. And sometimes... This is a cousin, a brother, a mother, a friend. Somebody, we, would, we, would, we, we, we say we ride or die, but we're willing to let them die. See, real friends don't let friends go to hell without having heard about Jesus. Thank you, guys. And that's why what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 is so important. You know, I'm going to say this real quickly. One minister said this I really thought was so important. Being a pastor, these kind of things kept my, catch my attention. You know, church growth is frowned at for some strange reason by a lot of the body of Christ. We're really critical of churches that grow and reach people. And, you know, we come up with phrases, oh, there's just numbers and all this other stuff. And I really struggle with that. That's one of those times I'm sitting in church and I hear that, and I just want to leave. I get in the flesh if I'm not careful. Because if a number represents a person who's not going to hell, give me all the numbers I can handle. So one guy said this. He said, we're not just growing churches. We're filling heaven. Another way of saying that is we're not just growing churches. We're emptying hell. We're keeping people from going to hell. 
That's why we do what we do. That's why this church can't be full 500 people. Hey, we're only like 10 months old, a church this big at this age. Most people say, man, that's amazing. Wow, y'all doing good. And thank God we are. We've had hundreds saved and rededicated, over 200, maybe 300, just in the time that we've been together. We thank God for that. But this is not even close to enough. When there are 4 million people in Metro Detroit and at least half of them are far from God. We must be a church of 100,000. We must reach millions of people with the gospel so they don't end up in hell. Another minister said this. He said, growth is not an option as long as hell is a reality. It's not an option. We have to. That's why I told you the way we do church, we'll talk more about it in this series, is not about making Christians happy. We're going to teach you the Bible. We're doing it today. We're going to be there for you. We're going to love you. We're going to kiss you. We're going to, yeah, we got you. We're not here. We're not here for you. We're here together for them. Imagine your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, or your family member burning in hell for eternity. Going to this place we just read about. It's a horrible thought. The good news is, it's in your hands. You can tell, you can share Jesus with them. You can help them make the right decision. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 14. He tells a story, a parable, and really the point of the parable is a little different because he, 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 he's telling the story of a man who's having a feast in his house. And the man represents God. And he's telling his servant, I want you to go and invite people to come to this feast. Now, ultimately, the house is heaven. So, he's, so the man goes out and says, you know, hey, it's, it's time for dinner. You know, hey, the feast is ready. And one guy says, oh, I, I bought some land. I need to go check that out. My money is more important. Another guy says, you know, you know I just did this. And my work is more important. Another guy says, I just got married. You know, so, you know, the opposite sex is more important. So they come up with all these reasons to not become, come to God's house, to not become a part of God's family. And so the, the Bible teaches that man became very angry, and he said this. He said this, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And that's some people, by the way. You've got all these excuses for why you won't live for God. You know, all these things, really, that you are about. And I'm here to tell you, there is nothing on this planet worth five minutes of hell. Nothing. You can sleep with 10,000 women. It ain't worth it. You can be a billionaire. It ain't worth it. You could be the most famous person on the planet. It ain't worth it. I'm going to do a T-shirt. It ain't worth it, you know. Right? And that's what, this, that's what these guys are doing. You know, well, I got this. I got that. I don't have time for that. Well, so he, he sends them out. And the Bible teaches here that the master of the house became being angry, said to a servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So he's saying, go on, get, get, go, go onto the streets, go into the alleys, and grab people, the poor, man, because many times those people are the ones that are more open. They're suffering. They know they need God. He says, grab the poor, man, grab the main, those who are crippled, grab those who are lame, grab those people and bring them in. And, and of course, they were willing to come. 
But notice that that's not enough. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Notice that phrase, compel, it literally means to necessitate, to urge. The message translation says, drag them in. See, when it's all said and done now, the way people will be saved is that God will use us to reach them. And we are just too nice. Either we're distracted, we don't care, or we're just too nice about it. And I'm not telling you to run outside and slap somebody and then say, you need to go to heaven. I'm not telling you to do that. But I want you to notice the urgency of what he's saying. Compel them, necessitate them, urge them, drag them in. Why? Because if you don't, they're going to burn forever. And God didn't create hell for people to burn. That was for Satan. The only reason why they would burn now is because they choose Team Satan. Help them choose Team Jesus. So compel them, he says. It's like somebody dragging somebody out of a burning building. Yeah, but I left my, come on. But my, my, my money, come on. All that is not important when you're dead. And this is what the Bible is telling us who are believers in here to do. God is saying that one lost sheep is so important to me. They're separated from me. They're a slave to Satan. They're suffering in ways that make no sense. And they're going to hell. And I need you, insider, to help me save the outside. I need you, FX Church, to help save Detroit along with so many other churches that are doing the same thing. I need you to be serious about this thing. I need you to prioritize this thing. I need you to celebrate when it happens. I need you to be consumed with helping save the lost, not just with your money problems, your marriage problems, how you look today, whether you're too heavy or whether you're too skinny or whether or not somebody down the street made you mad or whether you don't agree with this preacher or this pastor or this minister or whether you're jealous. Forget all of that. Grow up. If you give those things to God and you study his word, God will take care of those things. But your life will be out of order and you will never truly be happy until you make this the priority. Life far from God is life that is far from good. God wants people to live life with him because life with him is so much better. I want to end just by mentioning another group of people that we probably know more of than those who are just, who've never met Jesus. I like to call them prodigals. And in Luke chapter 15, we, we read the story where Jesus talked about the sheep and he talked about the money. But there's a story about a guy who 
decided to tell his dad, you know what, I want my inheritance right now before you die. And then his dad gave it to him. And so he took his inheritance, went to a far country, and just wasted it, you know, living in a way that was not right. He knew it wasn't right. That's one reason why he went to a far country, right? He knew it wasn't right. You know, having a good time, doing what he wanted to do, right? Living, living his way. And eventually, the Bible says a famine came. That's how it works. You can get away with stuff for a while, but at some point, payday's going to show up. Famine came, and he ran out of money. So he ended up having to work for a man, and what he had to do was he had to feed the man's sheep. What's implied here is this guy had some wealth, and now he's out here feeding, not sheep, excuse me, pigs. He's feeding the man's pigs, and he's not even making enough money to get enough food to really fill himself up. So he's literally looking at the pig's food, saying, man, I wish I could eat some of that. You know you're hungry. You're not even looking at the pigs. You're looking at the pig's food and saying, I wish I could have some. And the Bible says one day he came to his senses. He says, wait a minute, man. Even if I were just a servant in my daddy's house, I would be living way better than this. He decided to go home. and He says, I'm going to just tell my dad I messed up. And I just make me a servant. And his dad sees him from afar off because apparently he'd been looking for him. Every day he's coming out looking. Maybe today is the day my kids come home. That's how God feels about us. That's what he's saying about some of you today. Maybe today is the day they'll come home. Maybe today today they'll get over their church hurt. Maybe today, today is the day that they'll decide that I'm more important than that man or that woman. I'm more important than, than whatever, whatever it is that they're, they're chasing instead of me. Maybe today, because you know your idols don't love you back, but God does. So that father, he's looking. One day he sees his son coming, and he takes off running. He runs. He grabs his son. His son's trying to say, Daddy, I'm sorry. Just made me a servant. He's like, uh-uh. I don't want to hear none of that. My son is home. Get the best robe. Get the ring. Go ahead and get the, get the fatty. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. And that's how God feels when people who were once a part of his family walked away. In our city, we actually have more of the de-churched than the unchurched. People who used to follow God, people who used to go to church, that's who, who most of us know. And yet the Bible says in James 5 that if you turn one of them, if you help one of them come home, you are saving a soul from death and hell. For some reason, people get this idea that once I'm saved, I'm saved forever. I'm going to go to heaven no matter what I do. And that is not Bible. There is a point where you can choose to turn away from God in your heart. And you choose to separate again. Now, there's a lot of people who are, uh, quote-unquote, backslidden, who aren't there yet, but they're in danger of it. They're in this place where the Bible talks about how sin is like quicksand. And, you know, you get in it, and, and it's, the longer you're in it, the harder it is to get out. Before you know it, you're overcome, and you're an entirely different person. And that's why I want to go back to this story, because that would be great if that was the end of the story, but it isn't. So there's a party going on. They're celebrating this boy coming home. And his older brother shows up. He's like, what's, what's, all, what's going on? What's with all this noise? And they tell him, your brother's come home. Your dad's throwing a party. And instead of being excited, he gets mad. 
His dad eventually comes out and says, how come you're not coming in here? And he says, man, I've been here by your side all this time. I've done whatever you wanted me to do. You never threw me a party. He's mad over a party. His brother was almost dead. Spiritually speaking, he was separated from God, almost going to hell. And he upset because he don't have a party. That's how I feel as a pastor when people get upset about the color of the carpet in church. And being a preacher's kid, maybe that's part of it. I have zero tolerance for that kind of stuff. I will love on you. I will smile in your face. Then I'm going to go on the back and pray in tongues so I don't hit something. Because it just drives me nuts. What are you talking about? Oh, this happened and that happened. And it's not that it doesn't have to be corrected. But, man, somebody made a decision for Jesus to, as long as people are getting saved here, we can work on stuff. We're still, we're, we're still new. We're, there's a bunch of stuff that we still aren't doing right, to be honest. And, of course, as a pastor, I see everything. So I got my list. But you know what we are doing right? We're getting people saved. And we're going to get more saved. What's the point here? Don't you think that father would have been happier if that older brother didn't just watch his brother walk away and destroy his life? But if instead he went after him, found his brother, compelled him, got him to come home, and they came home together? You're the older brother. You're in church. You know God. You're walking with God, but you've got so many people in your life that are prodigals. And God wants you to compel them to come home to you. I want to challenge you today, very simply, to take seriously our mission to reach the outside. Because life far from God is far from good. Compel those in your life that don't know him to come to him. Pray for them. Share Jesus with them. We're going to tell you how to do some of those things in the next couple of weeks. But let's save the lost in our families, our world, and in our city. And make sure our Father in heaven is thrilled because his house is filled. So as every head, every head is bowed and every eye is closed in prayer, Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.